Uh, Amos 9.11. In that day I will raise up the fallen tabernacle of David and wall up its breaches. I will also raise up its ruins and rebuild it as in days of old. Amos Cookies. Amos Amos Cookies. Amos 9-11. Why am I doing a class on something as mysterious and hard to comprehend thing like the tabernacle of David? What is the tabernacle of David? Just a little bit of history of why I feel led to do this class. A few weeks ago, the elders, not everybody knows this, but the elders at Mishkan David and myself got together at my house for an overnight prayer. Um, so Stephanie and Dawn and Judy was on the phone, pre-demotion time. And uh, Lou and Val and, and the elders are at our, my house, and we just spent the all night praying. We got together around 7 at night, got done at 7 in the morning, and one of the things that was spoken about during the course of the night was this tabernacle of David. And I was like, you know what? This is a foundational verse at Mishkan David. It's foundational. It's on our literature. It's on the website. It's on everything that Rabbi Peter did. He drew a picture of the tabernacle of David. Uh, so it's sort of foundational to whatever we are as a congregation. So we started to press in prayerfully, like, what does that mean? And we opened up the verses, and we started to look into it, and had some conversation about it. But it really... It prompted me to look into it a little bit further. You know, we didn't come out of our prayer time with like, this is what it means. And I don't fully expect to come out of this class with, okay, this is what it means for us at Mishkan Devi. Totally, it's, it's, it's a mysterious thing. It's a spiritual thing. It's a prophetic thing. Um, but I will do my best to share what it is from my perspective, how it speaks to me. Um, I'll share about what it means uh, biblically, I'll share what it means prophetically, and I'll share what I feel it does mean for this congregation that bears its name. Okay? Um, I did call Rabbi Peter. This is a foundations class. So I did call Rabbi Peter, and I said, we're doing this foundations class. We're going to do a, a class on the tabernacle of David. I would like to find out from you how... What spoke to you when this congregation first started up, when you felt led to start it, and call it Mishkan David? Like, what was it about this thing where, where it was foundational for you? So I'll just share this. He, he spoke to me about some wonderful things, but I'll just share this very, very small thing. Uh, he came out of Congregation Beit Tahia, which is where Lou and Val and others come out of, and now it's time to start a congregation. And what he shared with me is that he had no interest in doing this. It was, he was at a point, I guess there was a point years prior where he felt like he could do, uh, be a rabbi, but it didn't happen at the time. And then it was time for him to start a congregation, and he just had no interest in doing it. And in his head, he thought a congregation looks like a certain thing. And imagine, let's say, the temple of God, let's say that Solomon built. It's got a lot of structure, it's got a lot of... Uh, process, it's got a lot of tradition and ritual, and he's seeing what he saw as a congregation, maybe even at Beit he's like, I don't have the head to do something like this. I, it's just not my calling, and I really don't want to do it. And what he felt in his spirit is God saying, I'm not calling you to re run a congregation. 
this is not a congregation you'll be running. Uh, this is Mishkan David. So that's what he felt in his spirit. It was an immediate thing. It's like, okay, I guess it's going to be called Mishkan David. Uh, interestingly, there is not a, a single verse in scripture that uses the term in Hebrew, Mishkan David. Not even the uh, scripture about the tabernacle of David. Uh, nonetheless, uh, it's called Mishkan David. So we're going we're to just start to share. Uh, so what does it mean biblically? What does it mean prophetically? What does it mean for us? There's, there's so many layers in scripture uh, of how to read scripture and, and the way the scripture speaks to us, um, especially something as mysterious as a verse like this. So the best way for me to frame this next hour or so is to frame it in the way Judaism and Orthodox Jews read the scripture. And they will read the scripture in different layers. And I'll just describe this a little bit. So there's something called in Hebrew the Peshat. And in English it would be like that. In Hebrew, and I always struggle with this, it's the Peh, the Shin, and I think it's a Tav. I think that's how you write a Tav in the script. And Stephanie may say, no, 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 that's not it. Okay. Uh, so the Peshat is the plain sense, okay, which, is, which means... It means what it means, okay? It's like the basic, okay? Like the plain sense of Moses taking the people out of Egypt is Moses took the people out of Egypt, okay? It doesn't mean he took us out of Egypt in the plain sense, okay? And every scripture has a plain sense, and that in Hebrew is called the Peshat. Uh, then there's another level, and it's called Remez, and that would be Resh, Mem, uh, Zion, okay? And that is hit. It's the Hebrew word for hit. Which means it hints at something else. Like maybe Moses coming out of Egypt hinted at the final exodus of the Jewish people at the end of time, at the end of days, coming out of the nations into Israel. It hints at something greater. It's, it's beyond the plain sense, it hints at something else. Okay? Uh, the next level is called the drosh. And that is spelled dalit reish shin. So you got the dalit reish shin. Um, and that essentially means either a story or how it relates to you personally. Um, it could be an entirely fictitious story centered around scriptures. Okay, that just gives more meaning to it. Um, what can I what can I say as an example? Okay, there's there's uh, a story in Judaism about how Abraham like smashed the idols yeah. in his father's house, right? It don't know if it really happened or not. Except for one. Oh, except for one, and he tell what's what what except happened with that? He did it. For the one that was left. Like, what happened to all those things? He did it. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I just read that. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Okay. He, he pointed to the idol that was left and said he did it, and his father said, "No, I can't." Oh, it. yeah. He pointed to the idol, right? Yeah. Okay. They can't, you know. It's they a can't talk. They can't exactly, do, you know. exactly. It's a story, not in the scripture, but it speaks to how Abraham believed in the, in the true God and not idols, right? Um, also, when, when we read scripture and it speaks about something personal, about our own lives, right? It's it's in that realm of what the Jewish people call drash. Okay? And then the last thing is sowed. Um, 
rhymes with uh, load. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and uh, that would be Samak Yudal. Okay. And that is sort of like the prophetic, uh, you know, very mystical or mysterious. Um, and often we'll speak about Yeshua. Okay? Now that's coming from my perspective, not from an Orthodox Jew's perspective. Okay? One day they'll say, it's, it speaks about Yeshua. Okay? Um, so these are the, this all makes sense. This is how Jewish people, and it's a good way of doing it because the scripture does have all these levels because it's multidimensional. Um, it has a lot, scripture has a lot of depth. It has a fixed length and a fixed width, but infinite depth. Okay? Um, and you can just dig deeper and deeper and deeper into meanings. So, Tabernacle of David, I'm going to just try to go into all of these different levels. Um, and again, it's so prophetic, you know, things can come to you that did not come to me about something like the Tabernacle of David. Um, and if something does come, you know, feel free to share. Um, plain sense. Uh, in, which is the Peshat. So, in the plain sense of this text, in that day I'll raise up the fallen tabernacle of David. In the plain sense, this is a prophetic verse. It is not speaking of something that happened in Amos' time. It's not something that he experienced. It is, it is by its strict plain sense definition, this is a prophetic scripture. How do we know this? Very simply, it starts with in that day. And in Hebrew is bayom hahu. And there's many other scriptures that start with Bayom Hahu, which means in that day. Uh, Zechariah has tons of them. In that day, uh, the nations will come against Israel. In that day, they'll, rec they'll see the one who they've pierced. In that day, um, the bells of the horses will be holy. I mean, it's, it's, in that day, the Lord shall be one and his name one. So a lot of these prophetic end times verses start with in that day. So, so even in its, in its plain sense... It's talking about something that's going to happen in the future. It is not talking about something that happened in Amos' time. Um, interestingly, in Amos' time, the tabernacle of David was not really fallen. There was a king, David's, one of David's son's uh, descendants was, was right there, and king of Judah. Everything was going on according to plan. Um, but he must have seen that something was going to happen to David's line in the future. Because if he's saying, I'm going to raise up the fallen tabernacle of David, and David's kind of reign or his realm, or where the sons coming after him will always be a king over Israel, that hasn't fallen at all. But he's saying, in that day I'll raise up the fallen tabernacle of David. So it speaks about how this lineage of David being king over Israel is going to collapse, and it's going to be raised up again at the end times. Okay, And I believe that that is essentially the plain sense of this verse. It's speaking about David's kingship and the kingship of his descendants. That's what I believe the strict, plain sense means. That a descendant of David will be once again reigning over, over the land. Pretty, pretty basic. Um, so, it's in, so based on that, the son of David is, is the Messiah. Ultimately, the son of David is the Messiah. So ultimately, this is a messianic prophecy. That the son of David, who is the Messiah, who is the end time son of David that's going to reign, is going to reign. So raising up the fallen tabernacle of David means that Messiah is going to come and he's going to establish his, his tabernacle and reign over all the earth. And, and that will be rebuilt. Um, it's even spoken about in the New Testament, in the book of Acts. Uh, Acts 15, 
13 through 18, uh, James Yaakov um, said, Brothers, listen to me. Simon has related how God first concerned himself about taking from among the Gentiles a people for his name. With this, the words of the prophets agree, just as it is written, after these things I will return and I will rebuild the tabernacle of David, which has fallen, and I will rebuild its ruins and I will restore it, so that the rest of mankind may see the Lord and all the Gentiles that are called by my name, says the Lord who makes these things known from long ago. So even in the New Testament, very shortly after, in the book of Acts, when Yesh- very shortly after Yeshua died, was, was executed, was resurrected, and went up to be with the Father, um, shortly after that, James is referring to this verse, saying this is fulfilled not only by Yeshua, but it's fulfilled with the ingathering of all the nations. And that is very much in line with Amos 9.11. Amos 9.12 says that they may possess the remnant of Edom and all the nations, i.e. Gentiles, same Hebrew word, who are called by my name. So even in in the plain sense of this this verse, there's the ingathering of all the nations under this thing called the Tabernacle of David, which in the plain sense is Yeshua's reign. Okay? So that's that's plain sense what it means from my perspective, and that's it. So the plain sense is, you know, Messiah reigning and inclusion of all nations, all people. So that is the plain sense of this. So let's um, go into the, the remez, which is the hint. Um, before we go into that, I spoke a little bit about this last week, and I'm going to repeat it. When you look in your English Bibles, uh, you will see the word very often, tabernacle. Tabernacle can have three different Hebrew words. Does anybody remember what they are from last week? What's one of them? Mishkan. Right? Mishkan is one of them. Oh, hell. Oh, hell. That's if you have to go camping and you hate camping and you see the tent, you're like, oh, hell. So, oh, hell. O-H-E-L, I guess would be in English. And what's the third one? Sukkah, sukkah. Sukkah. The sukkah's on fire. Oh, yes. Okay? Three Hebrew words that in English you'll never know what the right Hebrew word is. And they're three, they're related, but they are different things. Now, the sukkah obviously relates to the Feast of Tabernacles. Okay? So that is related to the Feast of Tabernacles. That's the Gog uh, uh, HaSukkot, Feast of Tabernacles, Feast of Booths. Um, is sometimes called. So that's what sukkah represents. Mishkan is the wilderness tabernacle that we've been reading a lot about at, at services because it's through the Torah portions. We're in those Torah portions. Okay? Ohel is just a tent. It's if you're going camping and you don't like what you're going to be sleeping in, you go, oh, hell. Okay? <laughs> Generic tent is ohel. Okay? What word 
is used when it says, in that day I will raise up the fallen tabernacle of David. Anybody know which word it is? Mishkan, Sukkah. The answer is Sukkah. Yeah. Okay? In that day I will raise up the fallen Sukkah of David. So with that, with it being called a Sukkah, there is a reference to the Feast of Tabernacles. Okay? And the Feast of Tabernacles, as we spoke about last week, is an end times holiday, festival, feast of the Lord. We spoke last week that there are the three spring festivals that Messiah has already fulfilled, and that would be Passover, Unleavened Bread, um, and Shavuot. Right, the, feast of fr- the first fruits heading into Shavuot. And then you have the fall festivals, which he has not yet fulfilled, which we spoke about being the Feast of Trumpets, that's the Day of Trumpets, which seems to be about the trumpets in the book of Revelation, followed by the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, which is Israel's Day of Atonement, when they finally accept Messiah and they receive the atonement, and Sukkot, right? The Feast of Tabernacles, where it says in Revelation 21.3, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he will dwell among them, and they shall be his people, and God will be among them. That's the fulfillment of the Feast of Tabernacles. That one verse right there from Revelation is the fulfillment of the Feast of Tabernacles. So, with the tabernacle of David... Reference calling it a sukkah, sukkat David is actually what it says. Putting the little tav at the end of it means of. Okay, so sukkat David. Um, calling it a sukkah. <laughs> what was that? They're a train or something? Or <laughs> I think it'll be better. All right. Um, I'm trying to make a joke with, with the tabernacle falling and raising it up again, but I'm, nothing's coming to me that's really, really worthwhile repeating. Um, okay, but anyway, calling it Sukkah, Sukkot David, is a clear reference to the Feast of Tabernacles, which also indicates that it is an end times thing that Amos is speaking about, because the Feast of Tabernacles is an end times holiday. You don't even need to believe in Yeshua for it to be an end times holiday. It says in, Re- in um, Zechariah 14.6, it'll, it'll be on that day that anyone who are left among the nations that went against Jerusalem will come up year after year to worship the king, Lord of hosts, and celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles. Okay? Why, of, why the Feast of Tabernacles? Why does Zechariah say that at the end of days, the nations, even the enemies of Israel, the ones who came against Jerusalem, will come in and celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles. Why does, why does Zechariah say that? Why doesn't he say they'll celebrate Passover or, or, or some of the other holidays? It's because it's an end times event. That's why it's related to the Feast of Tabernacles. Okay, So it's the same thing with this uh, Tabernacle of David. It's related to Sukkot, which is end times. Okay, But it also hints at something else. And this is critical. And it's more along the lines of the picture that Rabbi Peter drew of little David dancing around this little thing. Okay? Um, the tabernacle of David hints 
at another event. And the event is as follows. When King Saul, who was the first king of Israel, um, was king of Israel, the Ark of the Covenant was somewhere else. It was like in somebody's house, and they just kind of left it there, and it wasn't really, wasn't really used. It wasn't really um, used in any sort of service. Okay? It was just kind of there in a house. Right? David, when he became king, he wanted to take this Ark of the Covenant and bring it into Jerusalem. And it's a very popular story. He takes it out of this one person's house. He gets the Levites, because according to Torah, only the Levites are allowed to handle it and touch it. Right? And he puts it on a cart, and there are these ox, you know, lumbering around, bringing this thing into Jerusalem. You know, it starts to wobble. Somebody who wasn't a Levite goes to touch it. God considers that almost like the unholy fire that, you know, that happened in the Torah. Zap! That guy's gone. David's like, I can't handle this. And he got really upset with God. And he puts it in somebody else's house. Okay? He says, I'm not bringing this to Jerusalem. This is too dangerous. I'm going to put it in somebody else's house. But then the presence of this thing blessed the house of this person. His name was Obed-Edom. Okay? And he was an Edomite. Okay? Which is like a descendant of Esau. This is not a friend of Israel. Okay? But he put it into this person's house. And this person who had no business being around such a thing, according to Torah, was blessed. And his house was blessed. And David is like, okay, if, if this house is being blessed, maybe this thing isn't so bad. And he kind of reconciled with God that, yeah, I guess it was our mistake. We let this guy who's not a Levite touch it. Sorry, God. You know, he started to get not so upset at God for the whole experience. So he goes and he gets the thing, right? And he has it all done right. And he prepares... In Jerusalem, a tent. Not a sukkah, not a mishkan, and oh hell. <laughs> okay? He prepares an oh hell. A simple tent. It was not the mishkan. It kind of quasi-operated as a mishkan. But it was not the mishkan from the, from the wilderness. It missed much of the details of the mishkan. It, it missed a lot of the furnishings, the rules around how it has to be set up, the rules about how it has to be taken down, and very, the showbread and the, the menorah, and all, various things were not present. Not present. It was a tent. That's all it was. And he comes in with this thing, and he, and he puts the thing into the tent, and he is rejoicing around it. And he's wearing linen, and he had the Levites there, and they were wearing linen, and he's jumping around. And we know the story. His wife saw him jumping around, and he was very upset. And know that when, when the tabernacle, when the ark comes into the presence, when the presence of God comes in, there is going to be adversity. And he experienced that adversity as well, even with his wife, who was like really disgusted with this whole experience. Okay, you can read about that in Second Samuel, verse. No, I'm sorry, Second Samuel chapter six. It goes through that whole thing that I just just went through. Okay, um, also in First Chronicles fifteen and sixteen, it speaks about that event where he uh, pitched a tent in Ohel and he placed the ark in it and he rejoiced. Okay, but. Something else happened that he instituted at this moment. Now, again, this tent with the Ark of the Covenant in it was not the Mishkan. It was not that tabernacle. 
Okay? It was less than that as far as all the ceremony around it. And he instilled, in, installed Levites, okay, descendants of Levi, to minister to this thing, right? And to do the work, and they did have Day of Atonement, they had a high priest there, and they did the, the operations that were in the Mishkan, they did it in this tent, okay? It stayed there throughout David's reign. It only went into the temple after Solomon built it over 40 years later. But David instituted something brand new in this tent of David that he put into Jerusalem. And it was brand new. You will not find this in the Torah. It is absolutely new commandment that came from David. And the commandment was for the Levites, whose job was just to kind of oversee the tabernacle, their job was now not only to do that, but to worship, to praise and worship. And you can read about that um, in First Chronicles 16. And I will try to find that. Okay, 1 Chronicles 16, 1. So they brought the ark of God and set it in the midst of the tabernacle that David had erected for it. See, in this translation it says tabernacle. You'd have no idea which of these Hebrew words is being used. So he set it up in the tabernacle, which is the tent, oh hell, that David had erected for it. Then they offered burnt offerings and peace offerings uh, before the Lord. When David had finished offering the burnt offerings and peace offerings, he blessed the people. I'll just uh, read more quickly. He distributed food to everybody. Then verse 4, he appointed some of the Levites to minister before the ark of the Lord to commemorate, to thank, and praise the Lord God of Israel. Um, Asaph, the chief, and he lists all the different names. We should know Asaph. There are Psalms of Asaph. Right, so that he was he was a Levite that David put in charge of this whole thing, um, uh, with stringed instruments and harps, and Asaph made music with cymbals, and others the priests regularly blew the trumpets continually before the Ark of the Covenant um, of God. On that day, David first delivered this psalm into the hands of, of Asaph and his brothers. So he wrote his first psalm. The first psalm that David wrote was when he put the ark into this tent and he instilled the Levites as not only people who just oversee the ins and outs of this tabernacle, but to actually praise and worship the Lord um, as part of their day-to-day operation continually, continually. Okay? So is the tabernacle of David, which says Sukkot David, Is it connected, is it really connected to this tabernacle of David that he put up when he put the ark into the tent, right? Very probable that it is related. And I'll give you one scripture verse that tells me it is related. And it is from Isaiah. Isaiah 16.5 is actually the second prophecy about this thing called the Tabernacle of David. And Isaiah 16.5 says, a throne, again it's prophetic, 
A throne will be established in loving kindness and a judge will sit on it in faithfulness in the tent of David. And the word used for tent in Isaiah is Ohel, which is what David erected. Okay? So we have the tabernacle of David that's used sukkah, which is end times, but there's also a tabernacle of David which speaks about the tent of David, which in its purest sense is that tent that he, it, that he put the ark into and he installed the Levites to worship God uh, day and night. Okay? So, the tabernacle of David. In that day, I will raise up the tabernacle of David. It hints, it is related to this tent that David put up where he put the ark in it and he installed worship. 24 by 7, worship, continual worship around this thing. All right? So the hint is the tent of David that housed the ark. Okay? Um, it speaks to me about, um, about this tent of David, this tabernacle of David, being about praise and worship. And I'll get into a little bit of the drosh. Uh, Susie and I uh, became praise and worship leaders about 1998. So that would be 16 years ago, something like that. Where Susie, only for no other reason that she had a really good singing voice, was asked to join the worship team. Um, and we didn't really understand worship at that time, but we've come to see the power and the healing and the divine movement through praise and worship over the course of the 16 or so years that Adonai has um, enabled us to lead in praise and worship, whether it was at our former congregation as praise and worship directors or it was through our travels, we've, all of a sudden, it, it, it went from like, okay, I'm a good singing voice, so I'm just going to kind of do this thing, to like, like, wow, like there is power in praise and worship. And I think it's significant that when God raises up the tabernacle of David, and that's sort of our signature verse at Mishkan David, and again, talking about Mishkan David is kind of talking in the Jirash because you're talking about how it affects you personally. Um, I believe it, it's significant that there's praise and worship related to the tabernacle of David. Okay? Um, I don't think that's coincidental. I think as far as we talk about foundational things at Mishkan David and then God raising, you know, firming up foundations, I believe that praise and worship is, is such I mean such a foundation at Mishkan David. I believe that when we see the Lord operate at Mishkan David, do all these crazy things on Shabbat, and, have, and the freedom that the Spirit of the Lord has to do what He does, He has, the Lord has the freedom to do what He does, I believe, because of the praise and worship. Because the, the, the room is, 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 is cleansed with praise and worship. Where, where, when we come in and the music goes on to the flag, whatever it is, however it operates, okay, there's, there's power. Adonai operates... In this, in this praise and worship realm, it says in one place that he inhabits the praise of his people. Right? So I think just praise and worship in general is foundational 
to this tabernacle of David, and it's also foundational to what you know we're all about at Mishkan David. I, I really, really do. Um, so let's see. Anyway, so what is it about, again, about this tent of David, that this tabernacle of David references, hints, okay? There's two things that, that come to me with it. One of them, this is just in summary, is the simplicity of it, okay? It was not the Mishkan with all its pomp and circumstance. It was not the temple with its rigidity and its largeness. It was a tent, it was humble, it was accessible, and when we read the Tabernacle of David, people that had no business being in the presence of God in that time are called into this tent of David. The people of Edom, all the Gentiles, and we even spoke about how the Ark of God was in, blessed the house of this Obed-Edom, who had, again had no business having this thing. Okay? So it is, it is, it is a humble tent, right, that People that otherwise just can't be in God's presence can be in God's presence. Okay? Just like us. No kidding, right? Exactly. Um, again, like I said, it had no. It wasn't the Mishkan. It didn't have the setup. It didn't have the breakdown. It didn't have the outer court. It didn't have all these types of things. It did have the basics, and it did provide forgiveness for the people because the high priest did his thing there. So forgiveness still was granted to the people through this tent of David. Um, I think David instituted worship because he had personal experience with this. Um, he was a musician, right? And um, he loved Saul, and he wouldn't lay a finger on Saul, but Saul was constantly throwing a spear and trying to pin him against the wall. And he was missed, okay? But what did David do? I mean, he didn't run from Saul. What he would do is he would go to Saul, go right to his enemy and just break out his little harp, his little lyre, and start playing music. And then he would see that Saul, the, the, he would calm down, and you know, the Spirit of God would come, would come back onto Saul, or, or whatever it is, he would, he, would, he would calm down. So he saw the spiritual power in music. Right? He witnessed it firsthand. I mean, this guy wanted to kill him. Absolutely wanted to kill him. But he would go there right to his enemy and start worshipping. And he would see the countenance of Saul change. So he had this type of experience, right? So now he's bringing in this ark and he's finally king, right? So I think that his experience of praise and worship, of seeing the power of musical praise and worship, seeing that power is one of the reasons, I believe, of why he instituted this thing. And of course he has this history in... Come back, come back again? Um, he has his history like with, with, with Joshua, Right when they were when they marched around Jericho, I mean, what ultimately brought this thing down? It was praise and worship. It was noise. It was it was shofar blasts. And and and, and, and Israel had this history and all this history and all these, these this chronology was was brought into David. So not only did he have his personal experience, he had the historical experience that there's power in in praise and worship. Um, I just want to read a few verses. Uh, mostly from the stories of the kings of Israel and Judah that speak about what happened when these kings instituted the, the, um, the order in the Levites that David instituted when these Levites were to praise and worship, not just to minister according to Moses, but to sing. Okay? Um, when you read 
the stories of the kings of Israel and the kings of Judah, you will see that the institution of this institutionalized worship, this corporate institutionalized worship, led to national revival, it led to victories over enemies, and it led to peace in the land. Okay? And I'm just going to throw a couple of verses out there. Sometimes it's just a blessing to just read straight scripture and let it, let it speak to you. So Second uh, Chronicles 20 uh, speaks about uh, the king of Judah who was named Jehoshaphat. Jump in Jehoshaphat. And uh, he was being attacked by other nations. And uh, the Spirit of God came down upon one of the descendants of this Asaph, Asaph, who was one of the Levites that David put on to sing. Okay, so one of his descendants, the Spirit of God came upon him, and he said a very, very, quote-unquote, popular verse that's used these days, and it's, it's prophetic even for us, for anybody, you know? Do not fear, do not be dismayed, don't be afraid of this great multitude, for the battle is not yours, but God's. You don't need to fight this battle, set yourself, stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord. Okay, so that came during the time of Jehoshaphat, and it was one of the descendants of these Levites that was the singer who actually, with the Spirit of God on him, said these things. So verse 21, this is 2 Chronicles 20, verse 21. He appointed those, this is the king, Jehoshaphat. He appointed those who sang to the Lord, and those who praised him in the holy attire, these are the priests and the Levites, as they went out before the army and said, give thanks to the Lord for his loving kindness is everlasting. That was a song, okay? That's essentially they were singing, okay? When they began singing and praising, the Lord set ambushes against the sons of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, the enemies, who had come against Judah, so they were routed. So let me just read that once again. When they began singing and praising, the Lord set ambushes against the enemies, and they were routed. Okay? So the weapon used to rout these enemies was actually praise and worship that David instilled. Okay? So when this king, a couple generations later, put together this model that David put together for the, where the Levites praising, is, and they operated in that way, the enemy was routed. Okay? I, I do so strongly believe that the enemy is confounded, confounded in praise and worship, especially a sacrifice of praise and worship, because the enemy does not want you to, doesn't want us to, he wants us to just kind of, kind of sulk and, and just be absorbed in, in the lies that he's, he's telling. So in the midst of that, when praise and worship goes up, I, I so believe that it confounds the enemy. It, it, it sets the enemy camp in, in a little bit of disarray. I strongly, strongly believe that. And, and the, the, the great thing about praise and worship as a weapon is that we, we all can do it. Yes. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not good at bow and arrow. I can't do it or shooting a gun. You know what I mean? But praise and worship is something that we all, we all can do. And you, and you, you know, know what? That's it. It's like if you have like a still water, you know, if the water is still, yes. it can get stagnant. But if you go like this, it's going to start rippling and rippling and rippling. You know, go ahead. Can I share something? Yeah. yeah. Um, years ago, when I was involved in kind of a 24-7 type of worship right. thing, um, there were some times where we had a lot of distraction. And a lot of times when you do really push in, 
Yeah. The enemy really comes hard. Mm. And like they can only come up so far though. Mm. And there was a couple of times where we really had to literally like push. It was almost like a physical thing right. and just keep worshiping and right. let the Lord come out in a way that we never right. understood, yeah. you know, in worship. Yeah. And um, that time, the first time that happened and a couple of times similar to that, I saw kind of like this whatever dream or vision or whatever of um, the camp of the enemy throwing out boomerangs, and that was their weapon. Like throwing out, well, they were throwing out weapons, but it was like a boomerang shape, and they were like just throwing them, throwing them, throwing them at us. But as the worship rose, the, the boomerangs were going right back to them. The weapons were right. going right back to them. It was like they were being turned, if yeah. it was a knife or a sword, whatever, it was being turned into wow. a boomerang, going right back to the camp of the enemy. Wow. And that, like, I forget about that a lot, but the mm. Lord will remind me here and there, yeah. just so encourages me. But that is what happens. And yeah. Sometimes I will sense it, like, yeah. something's happening, like, push through, push through, right, right, you right, know, right, in right. worship. Yeah. And yeah. David had the right idea of the 24-7, because a lot of times... I think all of us have been in services where, whether we're leading it or we're, we're part of the congregation, and you're, you're feeling things lift. Yep. People are pressing in. It takes a while sometimes for everybody yep. to get on board and yep. to get past themselves and yep. let things go and yeah. push in. And then it will stop. And it will be like the offering yeah. message yeah. or something yeah. else. Yeah. It's like, yeah. And you feel that, but like David had the revelation of never letting it stop, right. like right. always continuing, always yeah. continuing, and there's power in that, yeah. Yeah. and that is when things get shifted. Yeah. Things. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's beautiful. I mean, when he put that together, you know, I mean, you didn't see that in the tabernacle in the wilderness, but what you did see is eternal fire. You know, and you didn't have that at this tent because again, it, it lacked a lot of these things. So, but even with that, there was a foreshadow of that with et- with an eternal fire, eternal flame that was going on, and that was a foreshadow, I believe, of what David instituted, which is that eternal fire being lifted up through the people. You know, so all right, um, good. So Second Chronicles five, eleven through fourteen. Um, I'll just read. When the priests came forth from the holy place. And all the Levitical singers, Asaph, etc., and uh, their sons and kids, kinsmen clothed in fine linen, with cymbals, harps, and lyres, standing east of the altar, and with them 120 priests, blowing trumpets in unison, when the trumpeters and the singers were to make themselves heard with one voice to praise and glorify the Lord. And when they lifted up their voice, accompanied by trumpets and cymbals and instruments of music, And when they praised the Lord, saying, he's good for his love endures forever, which is, again, they were singing that, then the house, the house of the Lord, was filled with a cloud, so that the priests could not stand and minister because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled the house of God. So that is... You know, I, I think that just totally speaks to he inhabits the praises of his people. So you have the praise, and then his cloud and his glory filled the, filled the house so thickly. And we're the house of God. <laughs> Second Chronicles twenty three sixteen. Now another king. This king is named Jehoiada. Then Jehoiada made a covenant between himself and all the people, and the king, that would be the Lord's people. And all the people went to the house of Baal, tore it down, they broke in pieces his altars and his images. They killed the priest of Baal. 
Um, moreover, Jehoiada placed the offices of the house of the Lord under the authority of the Levitical priests, whom David has assigned to over the house of the Lord, to offer burnt offerings as written in the law of Moses, with rejoicing and singing according to the order of David. So all of the people of the land rejoiced, and this is the part that gets me, and the city was quiet. So there's a connection between the setting up of the tabernacle, the way David set it up with the praise and the worship, and peace in the land. So I believe that when he set this up, there was peace in the land, and I think that has meaning for us even now, because we want peace. You know, it's a, it's, it's, it's a divine blessing. It's a divine blessing when there's peace. So there are others. Um, there are other verses that just speak about uh, praise and worship in general. There's so many of them. We know so many, you know, um, you know, praise them with the symbol, praise them with, you know, there's, there's so many about, about praise. Uh, regarding the tent, this one speaks to me. Psalm 27, verse 5. For in the day of trouble, he will conceal me in his tabernacle. His tabernacle. In the secret place of his tent, he will hide me. And that clearly means the tent that David put up because he's the one who wrote this psalm. He will lift me up on a rock and now my head will be lifted up above my enemies around me. And I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing, yes, I will sing praises to the Lord. Psalm 27, verse 5 and 6. And the last one I'm going to read uh, is a, another praise and worship one. It's from the book of Acts, getting into the New Testament. And we know the story. Paul and Silas were uh, imprisoned. Acts 16, verse 25. And at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God. And the prisoners heard them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's bands were loosed. So again, all related to praise and worship. So why do I say these things? Um, I, I say these things, number one, because I feel in my spirit that praise and worship is, is so foundational to Mishkan David. Number one. Um, I do not say this, uh, and God help me if there's any bit of me that has a spirit of control. Okay? Um, I do not say this to try to say, now you got to praise and worship people. Come on now, lift your hands. Come on now, everybody does it. Okay? May that never be. Okay? This is, when we, these things say it's an encouragement, but it's not, therefore you all have to do this. All right? Because one thing that I feel so strongly about, just like when the Ark of the Lord was in the house of Obed-Edom, and Obed-Edom's house was blessed because of this thing, I know that if one of us does it, if one of us just unleashes praise and worship, it's as if all of us does it, okay? I don't care, okay, if, it's, if somebody comes in and they're, you know, kind of sleeping. Yeah, I encourage you, you know, push through it and praise. I encourage it, okay? But this, I do not want to come across as like I'm trying to manipulate how Mishkan David operates, okay? I do not want to do that. May, may it never be that, Okay? But I do feel that as we lay a foundation, and we firm a foundation, I believe that praise and worship is foundational. It's always been foundational. It's really just reaffirming a foundation that was laid for the past eight years with Rabbi Peter. You know, Rabbi Peter used to always say at the beginning of Shabbat, 
I am doing it on behalf of those who can't. Yes, absolutely. And that's good because to some people it's so shy. About it's it, and it's so it's so true. It, it's so true. Yeah. Lord spoke to, Lord spoke to my heart uh, this past Sunday. I was in a church, uh, my former church in Connecticut. But long story short, I remember one couple when I was a kid raising their hands, and we used to mock them. Not directly, but we used to say, oh, there it is. And yet, I was in this church Sunday, and I was the only one doing it. And right. I, uh-huh. The Lord brought that to me and said, see, you now know what they felt at that time. Right, so, right. Can't help it. No. As no. you grow, you can't I mean, I didn't care. As you I mean, grow, you want to I mean, you know, yeah, we all, eventually, you, you kind of look around when you first start to do that. But yeah. then, I didn't, you know, I could care less. I know it. Yeah. Isn't that funny? It yeah. It's like a self-consciousness. It is. Lost. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and it's more of a freedom. Well, it's like an audience of one. I mean, yes. You're not worried about what anybody yeah. around you is thinking. It's, it's like, pick yeah. it up. I used to feel that way also. I remember being like, yeah. you know, in my old congregation when I first accepted the Lord. I remember like feeling like wanting to do it. I didn't know if it was peer pressure or whatever it was. You yeah. kind of wanted to do it, you know. I'm putting on my jacket, maybe nobody will see, you know. It's it's so funny, you know. But it's it's funny how the, how the Lord just 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 kicks that over time out of you, that self consciousness, and 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 that's what He seeks to do with all of us around self self consciousness, self awareness, not just around praise and worship, just around anything that that will disable Yeshua manifesting Himself through us, whether it's worshiping His Father or whether it's talking to somebody or going to a stranger or whatever it is. It's that self awareness that that Adonai is, is seeking to break and break and break. And break and break, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean it's it's so funny because that that part of it is so far from me now that it's it, it's that part has become foreign. What was normal to me and then back then is now like so abnormal to me. I, I don't even relate to being self conscious about praise and worship. I was just at the rabbis conference, the IAMCS rabbis conference back in January, right? And everybody's pretty stoic, you know what I mean? But a few of us, maybe like three or four, were like. Run to the back, you know, and we're just going crazy during the praise and worship, you know, Ted Pierce is up there, whatever it is, and we're just going bananas, you know, um, and it's just a few of us, and it's amazing to me that it's just a few of us, and that, that I find amazing, I mean, there were like 200 rabbis there, and it was maybe like literally like three or four that would, that would go in the back and just to be able to have the freedom or else you'd be crashing at the tables, you know what I mean, but just that, that ability to let go and let, let Yeshua within you worship is, is, is a blessing. It's a blessing. And it is foundational in Mishkan David, and, and, and I completely agree with what you said, Rabbi Peter always said, which is that we just do it on your behalf. You know what I mean? So do I get upset if it's a quiet day at Mishkan David? I don't get upset because, I, you know, I'll do it on their behalf. You know what I mean? And I'll tell you what real praise and worship is. Somebody comes in and they're hurting and they're sitting down, and they get a, rec- a the revelation that they are the tabernacle of David. That because the ark, the, the presence of God is within them, and they go, oh, that's praise and worship. Very quiet. Very quiet. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Yep. Beautiful. All right. Um, I don't know why I did this. Um, you know, we had this thing overnight, and after we had that overnight prayer, Val gave me a CD on the Tabernacle of David. And I listened to it. It was okay. Yeah, it didn't move me that much. 
But all of a sudden, and I, I don't know what this means. I, I don't know. But all of a sudden, I was like, oh, because we were talking about this like 24-hour worship, and I know this IHOP and Dawn was involved in, in, in this IHOP, International House of Prayer. So all of a sudden, it comes to me. I was like, oh, RIHOP, Rhode Island House of Prayer. You know, so I'm like, I wonder if there was ever such a thing. So I go online, I look up like ryhop.com or ryhop.org. There was, there's no website. So I'm like, all right, Berkshire, I'm going to buy it. So I go in and I immediately buy www.ryhop.com. So now we are the owners of Ryhop <laughs> website. Let's see. Rhode Island is House of Prayer. A, is that a plain sense? Is that a hint? Is that a drop? I have no idea. It could be, yeah, right. Maybe we can have soda in celebration for the soda. It's a soda. I don't know what it means. I really don't know what it means. All I know is that we own the domain. <laughs> Nothing. We just own it. That means, oh, so if I nothing on it. But we yeah, own it. It's a seed. I don't remember if it was org or com. It probably was org. So that's a yet. Nothing on it yet, and I don't know. I don't know. It's something that I just did. It was a momentary thing, and if it's a foundational thing, the Lord is going to build upon. That's His to build. I don't know what it means, uh, but I wanted to share that. Okay, sowed. Now that we can have our soda and go into the sowed. In that day, I'll raise up the tabernacle of David. So now we're going to get into the mysterious stuff, the Yeshua stuff. So, Tabernacle of David. Sukkot. Da. The. Steph, is that right? Yeah, Where's the yod? Here? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Alright. In that day, I'll raise up Sukkot David. I want to share with you how it's written in Hebrew. In that day, I will raise up. Wow. Aleph Tav? Really? Yeah. Wow. Aleph Tav Sukkot So, what does that mean? And, um, Steve, I'll backtrack a little bit. Um, and if you continue to come, one of these upcoming weeks, Stephanie will be teaching more on that. But, um, throughout the Torah, the five books of Moses... Um, you'll never see it in the English because there's no English equivalent to the Hebrew word et, aleph tav. Um, however, uh, aleph tav is like, if you, it's like if you took it and just kind of threw it on the, on the pages of the Torah, on the, on the scrolls, it's all around, okay? Aleph is the first letter of the Hebrew alphabet. Tav is the last letter of the Hebrew, of the Hebrew alphabet, aleph It says in the book of Revelation that he is the alpha and the omega. Converting that to Hebrew, he is the aleph tav. So, with that, whenever you see Aleph Tav in the Torah, it's Yeshua. And it's amazing revelation where you see it's painted. Very simply, uh, in the beginning the Lord created heaven and the earth. It's in the beginning the Lord, Aleph Tav created the Aleph Tav heaven and earth. Like that creation statement goes right through Yeshua. And it speaks to where it says that all things were created through him. You know? So... Really amazing stuff. So, Aleph Tav Sukkot David. So, this uh, this tabernacle of David is Yeshua's tabernacle. Okay? 
He is the king. He is the one. He is the presence of the Lord that is in the tabernacle. He is the tabernacle. It is his tabernacle. So, as we've been speaking about, and this is, I think, this is foundational, foundational, foundational. Who is the tabernacle of God? Who is the tabernacle of God? Me. You are. Do I have the name again? Me. Michelle. Susan. Steph. Dawn. Judy. Louval. Steve. You, Brian, we, you, are the tabernacle of God. You are the tabernacle of God. The tabernacle of David is you. Okay? And that is absolute foundational in, in, in Mishkan David. Yeshua, they were looking at the temple. Now the tabernacle in the wilderness was replaced with the temple, the Beit Hamikdash, the temple. And, and the disciples are there, and they're looking at the temple, and they're going, Yeshua, check that Look at that beautiful temple. That is something else. Huh, Yeshua? And Yeshua said, it's coming down. And in three days, it will be raised up. What raised up in three days? We believe, and he did, he was resurrected in three days. So we think he's talking about himself. But in that sense, he's not just talking about himself. Because it's the, it's the house that is being raised up in three days. He is not the temple. He is the king who dwells in the temple. You are the temple of God. And we're in the third day. Yes, that's true. You are the temple of God, and he is the king that dwells in the temple. So on that day, we will raise up the tabernacle of David. That is the presence of God in you. And it's got Yeshua's signature, who lives inside of you, right on the thing. Okay? The tent of David is, is a humble tent. It's maybe not so special to look at. Okay? But it has the presence of God in it. And it is an avenue of, of praise and worship and atonement for people who had no business being in the presence of God at that time. The, the concept of this ark being in the house of Obed-Edom, which are people that are sort of outside the covenant, and even in the, uh, in the straight verses in the tabernacle of David, it says uh, that they may possess the remnant of Edom and all the nations that are called by my name. Right in the root of this thing are, are the, 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 the rejects and the people that just don't know God coming into this thing coming near you and, and, and experiencing the presence of God being in his presence around you. All nations. All nations. All, I mean, Edom. I mean, what is Edom was Esau. I mean, this is the, the carnalist guy in scripture. Just gave up everything for, uh, for drugs. Okay? Coming into the presence of God, being in this tabernacle of David, specifically mentions Edom, which is Esau, who's the most carnalist of God's. Coming in, coming into the presence of God in this tabernacle with David. Foundational. Foundational at Mishkan David. And you mentioned about the walls, right? One thing that came to me is that we, when, we, when we think of a tent, we often think very small, okay? And, but the tent is not meant to be small. A tent is meant to be expanded, okay? And, and there's a verse in Isaiah, which I believe is, is actually related to the Sukkot David. It's actually related to the tabernacle of David, the tent of David. Uh, it says, Isaiah 54, verse 2 and 3, 
enlarge the place of your tent. Because when you think of like, it's a tent, are we like, okay, Adonai, are we limiting, like, are we limiting what you're going to do, what you can do at Mishkan David by calling us a simple little humble tent? And he's like, no, tents enlarge. They enlarge. I mean, in the tabernacle of David, it's, it's enlarged to inhabit the nations. Okay? Um, it says, Isaiah 54, verse 2, Enlarge the place of your tent. Stretch out the curtains of your dwelling. Spare not. Lengthen your cords. Strengthen your pegs. I don't know why. I feel that what we're doing here with the foundations and even the, the, the demoting of other elders uh, over the past couple of months, I believe that we're strengthening the pegs of the tent. Um, Uh, Stretch out the curtains, spare not, lengthen your cords, strengthen your pegs, for you will spread abroad to the right and to the left, and your descendants will possess the nations and resettle the desolate cities. And your descendants will possess the nations. In that day, I will raise up the tabernacle of David, I will raise up its ruins, and so they may possess the remnant of Edom. Okay? So the connection between Isaiah 54, which talks about enlarging your tent, right? So it, it, it spread abroad, expand across the nations, possess the nations, and resettle desolate cities. That is directly related to raising up the ruins, rebuilding as it in days of old, so they may possess the remnant of Edom and the nations who are called by my name. Okay? But the, but the in conclusion, the end of this thing, what I want to establish as foundational is that... The tabernacle of David is sitting right here. Is sitting right here. And it's got Aleph Tavs, it's got Yeshua's signature all over it who resides in you. So people from all the nations, the, just the, the most carnal of people can come into Mishkan David, be in your presence, Yeshua's presence in you, and be a part of this thing, this tabernacle of David. And when they praise when they get a revelation that Yeshua is within them, whatever that looks like, that is a glorious praise that absolutely confounds the enemy. So Adonai, we lift this all up to you, Father, for you to build as, as you seek to build, Adonai. Um, we're just going out here throwing out some, some, some things and sharing what's on our hearts, Adonai, but you're the one who builds this thing, Adonai. You're the one that enlarges the place of the tent. You're the one, Adonai, that stretches out the curtains. You're the one that lengthens the cords. You're the one that strengthens the pegs. You're the one that spreads abroad to the right and to the left so your people, the descendants of all the nations, can, can be called, upon, called by your name, Adonai. Yes. You are the one that settles the desolate cities, Adonai. Yes. You are the one, Adonai. Yeshua is the one who praises you through us, Adonai. So we just lift you up, Adonai, and we, we, we uh, commit all the words spoken today, Father, um, as once again, for the third week, we just tamp down this foundation, Adonai, whatever that means in the spirit, Adonai, for you to build upon, Father. Um, so, yeah, we release freedom and praise, Adonai, in the midst of your people, Father, and may the enemy scatter, Adonai, be confounded, Father, when the, when, when, when the broken, when all of us, when we're broken, and, and, and the ones that just come, Father, and they don't know you, when they experience that revelation, may the enemy just be so confused that it just, it, it can't even get through the door, Adonai. Yes, Father. Thank you, Adonai, that you, you, you call it a tent, yet a tent is so strong when you build it, Father, that the enemy does not have the ability to get in, Adonai even stronger than a a physical temple 
is your tent of David, Adonai.